Good morning, family. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Covenant. It's good to see you today. Uh, we're going to be uh, taking a break from the series that Pastor Eddie has started to, for a special Palm Sunday message. And then next week, we'll be focusing on, on Easter for obvious reasons. Um, but before we do that, I want to jump, I want to, I want to speak to the cards. Did you guys receive these cards today? I wasn't sure because I got a palm on my way in. I didn't get a card. Nobody got a card today. Did anybody get a card last week by show of hands? A card that you put in your pocket or forgot about or left in the car? We're going to talk about those cards. It doesn't matter. You don't actually need the card. The card is just a prompt for us. So go ahead and take out your cell phone. What we're going to do, I should see some movement towards cell phones. Like, you know, it's so funny. Like, we think that the person from the stage can't see. I, 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 remember, I remember being in class, um, seventh grade, I had a, a, my science teacher, Mrs. Goers. I was actually at Seneca Ridge. It was Miss Goers. Is that, was she a science? Yeah. So Chrissy was in the school with me. But, um, but I remember one time at the, at the end of the year, it was, it was a class where I think kids misbehaved the most. And um, at the end of the year, I felt really guilty and I apologized. Because uh, I got in trouble for something else. So I was like, I'm just going to clean the slate on my whole life and just kind of go and apologize to my teachers. And I was like, I'm so sorry. You didn't know this, but, you know, in the back, I, I really, I, I, I horsed around a lot and I, I was misbehaving. And, you know, I'd throw spit wads at the ceiling and got my pencil stuck in the tile and, you know, those kinds of things. And she goes, oh, I saw all of it. And I was like, I was like, oh, oh Okay. And I'm still a little perplexed. She didn't explain why she didn't come after me. I guess after a whole bunch of years of teaching, she just wasn't in the mood. She was worn out. But anyway, so yeah, so I saw you not reaching for your phone. But thank you for those of you that did. Um, what, I, what I want you to take your phone out for is because I, I want you to write down the name, maybe send an email to yourself or use your note app or use paper if you've got paper out. But write down the name of five people real quick that we're going to pray for that uh, we, we are going to cooperate with God by asking him to move on their hearts and we're gonna go and we're going to invite people to come with us to this Easter celebration that we're having next Sunday so that they can encounter Christ, uh, see who we are together and then hopefully have their life changed forever. And so uh, I'll give you a couple of minutes to think through a couple of names. If you want extra credit, you can text someone right now. Texting works from the church also. Um, not just game apps um, that you've never played during a sermon. So if you've got some names, let's go, ahead and, let's go ahead and pray for these people. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the grace that you've poured out on us and that you've opened our eyes to experience, to see our hearts, to understand and to receive your love. God, we recognize that's that's a miracle that's only possible because of your loving kindness. So we ask that you would move on the hearts of those we love, that you would move on the hearts of those we work with, that you would move on the hearts of those, and even those that we don't like, and you would stir their hearts with anticipation, and you would prepare them for our invitation to come and, and to see who you are on this Resurrection Sunday. God, we thank you that you're moving on our behalf, and you go before us in all things. We have nothing to fear because you're with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So on top of whatever else comes up in the sermon this week, uh, that's some homework for you to consider that. We are entering Holy Week, which means that we've got uh, the, the exciting privilege of fasting together. So amen. Oh, the groan fell over the room. 
Uh, so, but we are going to fast. We're going to start fasting on Wednesday and we're going to fast until Friday. And we're going to pray and cry out to God that he would create a revival in us and in our church. And that we, he would meet us in a way unlike we've ever met, been met before. And that the revival wouldn't just happen here, but it would spill out. And it would be marked by repentance and salvation. That people would get saved and baptized in water and filled with the Holy Spirit as we enter into this moment where we, where we remember what he's done on our behalf. And so we're going to break, uh, we're going we're gonna to conclude the fast on Friday night at the Good Friday service at our Chantilly location. And you can learn more about this at gracecub.org. You can go to the calendar there and uh, it'll have the address for you. But we encourage you, we invite you to come and celebrate with us in that moment. It's a special service. Um, the decor is always, um, is, is always distinct. It's really, it's kind of a, a, a produced moment that'll help us uh, to, to recognize and to soberly kind of remember what Jesus has done on our behalf. Amen? Great. So let's, let's jump into the word. Today, we're going to be looking at, uh, because it's Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is the celebration of the triumphal entry when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem and people laid down palm trees and jackets and blankets and had Jesus walk over top of them on top of this donkey he was riding. And, and um, they were celebrating him and worshiping him because they were, cr- and they were crying out to him for salvation. And it's this huge moment in the midst of this Passover festival that's been going on there that's going on among the, uh, among the Israelites and among the Hebrew people. And so uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 11, verses 9 through 17. And I'd love for you to stand with me and read this with me. It's a lot of text. So just take a deep breath and compose yourself and we'll, we'll read this together. This is an account that's found um, in, in two of the other gospels. And so, uh, we're, but we're choosing the book of Mark this year. You can find it in Luke and you can find it in Matthew as well. John speaks of another triumphal entry that, or another time that Jesus came in to Jerusalem and did some very similar things minus the donkey and the palm trees. So, um, so let's read this together. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, he came from Bethany. He was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig and tree leaf, He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And he came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, It is not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. This is God's word to us. Father, we thank you that you still speak to us today. We ask that you would open our eyes to see our hearts to receive our minds, to understand your loving kindness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So what we just did is actually 
the most important part of what's happening this morning. That reading of scripture, because it's the reading of scripture, it's scripture itself, it's the word of God that is sharper than, to any, than any double-edged sword. It's the, it's the word of God that actually does the, word, that does the work on our lives. From here out, we're just going to look at, we're going to draw out some practical lessons, but we're going to look at this, this passage and we're going we're to learn what is it that God wants to say to us through it. But, but it's never about what the pastor says. It's never about what the preacher or the teacher says. It really, the emphasis is always on what Jesus has said. Amen? Amen? My hope is that we get a sense of the drama that's going on, that's building. It's, if you look at the life story of Jesus, there's this miraculous beginning, right? With angels and, and, and uh, a virgin birth and stars appearing in the heavens. It's this miraculous, extraordinary thing that everybody missed. And so Jesus starts as just a, as a poor child. Wise men come and give these extraordinary gifts. Jesus goes off to Egypt to escape the, uh, the, the infanticide that was occurring in the moment. And then they come back later and, they, and, and he grows up as a carpenter's boy and, and he's well-learned and he starts reasoning with those in the temple and he starts to teach and he starts his ministry and here we go, he's got disciples and he's picking up steam and he's got miracles and he's healing people and curing sickness, curing disease and putting eyes in people's heads with dirt and raising dead people and he's moving and he's, now he's confronting the Pharisees and the scribes and his influence is increasing and crowds are coming to him and now he's, he's getting ready to enter into Jerusalem for this Passover moment and he says, somebody get me a donkey and he's going to borrow this donkey and he's going to ride this donkey that's not even his into this city, a city that's being overseen by priests who are living in comfort of power and in, in a city that's overseen by the Roman government and, and, and Caesar's sitting a, you know, thousands, uh, hundreds of miles away in a palace over, ruling over all of this and Jesus is riding a borrowed donkey and he rides this thing in and the people begin to celebrate and they cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save us, save us. Hosanna in the highest is save us to the uttermost. What the people are crying out for, these people who are under the rule of of Rome and these people who are, uh, oppressed and have, a, have a, a history of oppression of their people and in and out of captivity. And, and here they are being, you know, under this, this empire and they're crying out and they're saying, God, save us. We believe, God, that you sent this man. He's growing in influence. He's growing in power. He's growing in authority. Jesus, save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You come in the name of the Lord. Now rescue us. They didn't know exactly who they were speaking to. They were likely hoping for an overthrow of the Roman government. Get the swords, Jesus. Fight us free, Jesus. Break it open, Jesus. Pay my electric bill, Jesus. There we go. Heal my marriage, Jesus. Save my child, Jesus. Give me health, Jesus. They're crying this Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, save us to the uttermost. Save us in a comprehensive way. God's dream for his people is that they would be distinct on all the earth. 
that they would be a people who live peculiar lives in him and that they would worship him, that they would be his people and he would be their God and he would protect and provide and care for and sustain them. And they would live in, in accordance with his plan and in his purpose. And they would love God and they would love one another in such a way that the world would look at them and say, there must be a God. Look at those people. And they're, they're, they're asking for things that God wanted to give them. Healthy marriages, healthy children, healthy lives, healthy finances. They're crying out for all the kind of right things that the gospel that God had always intended on, on us walking in and receiving. Um, but, but they thought the way that he was going to do it is by overthrowing Rome and establishing a new earthly government. And Jesus is certainly going to meet their request. He's going to save them to the uttermost, those who find their, their redemption in him. Salvation to the uttermost is available, but it's not going to come the way that they want it to come. Because Jesus knows that any human government, any earthly government is subject to earthly, in gov- to earthly things. The Israelites had already seen a king. They saw their kings. It didn't go well for them. There was David, who was a man after God's own heart. He was a great king. But he also stole a man's wife and had him killed. Solomon was the wisest king of all time, but had a problem with women. And then, and then Solomon's son, we end up with now this, 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 the 12 tribes get separated and you've got a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom and they start having civil war and fighting each other. Hardly looks like something that would proclaim the excellencies of God. Hardly looks like a, a, a body of believers that are loving God and loving each other well. But that was the result from earthly kingdom. And Jesus is like, no, 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 we're not going to establish an earthly kingdom. I'm going to do this altogether differently. I'm going, to, I'm going to establish a kingdom that can't be touched by civil war. I'm going to establish a kingdom that, that can't be damaged by, by a new president. I'm going to establish a kingdom that can't be threatened by any legislation. I'm going to, I'm going to establish a kingdom that isn't threatened by, by, any, by any economic downfall, by any wall that's being built, real or fake. I'm establishing a kingdom that's, that's above and beyond anything that can be touched by any human in all of time. Which is pretty extraordinary. It's pretty exciting, yeah? And so that he's coming to establish a, a kingdom that can't be toppled. That's not subject, subject to earthly things. So that they could be assigned to the world. Hosanna in the highest. Save us to the uttermost, the way we want to be saved. Now, this crowd would, would disappear in just a few short days. In just a few short days, it would go from laying palm branches and blankets down and celebrating him and worshiping him and, and, and having this massive pep rally to Jesus standing alone. Even those closest to him would flee out of fear. Peter, one of my favorite men in, in Scripture, the one who was the first to get the revelation that Jesus is the son of God, that he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the one who's coming to redeem them, would even reject Jesus three times in the same night. To soldiers, which you can understand, but also to a little girl. 
because he so feared for his own reputation to be identified with this man to whom they were just crying for salvation. Now, I want to I pose this question. Who do you look to for salvation? And where do you look for salvation? Because they got confused when he didn't do what they thought he was going to do. Because they were looking for an earthly system. They were looking for an earthly government to be the thing that saved them. Now, you might not, you might, let me say it this way. So, so there are two errors in this regard. Sometimes you can look to people to be your salvation. You can look to your job to be your salvation. You can look to an organization to be your salvation or for litigation to be your salvation or for the government to be your salvation. Anybody fall into one of those traps? One of the greatest disservices I've ever done to my wife is I look to her for my significance or I look to her for my meaning. I look to her for my security or for my comfort. And I put on her a responsibility that she's not capable of satisfying. Now, there's another way that we can do this. We can also try and be someone's salvation. Sometimes what we can do is we can look at it, and instead of, instead of looking to our salvation somewhere else, instead of looking to God for our salvation, what we can do is we can try and become salvation for someone instead of leading them to look to Jesus for their salvation. Does that make sense? It sounds like the room falls a little bit more in that category. Maybe we've got a room of rescuers where we want to run in and we want to rescue people and we're like, I just want your life to be better, so look at me. Let me help you. Let me solve this. Let me satisfy this. But it only takes a little bit of time before you realize you don't actually have enough money (laughs) to pay bills for somebody who's not good with their finances. It only takes a little bit of time to realize that you don't have enough patience to mine in and to to heal a marriage. You don't have the ability. You lack the ability to change someone's mind. Oh, definitely. That's somebody who's been married for a minute. We lack that ability. But we go in and we try and rescue and we end up, instead of, being a, a, a sign or a signpost to the kingdom of heaven, instead of being a sign or a signpost to Jesus, the one who saves, we try and be the destination of the one that saves. Yeah. And both of those things are an error. When we look to our job or our government or our spouse or our friends or you know, some other thing, our success to be the thing that satisfies us, that rescues us, that saves us to the uttermost, will be left wanting. And if we try and be the one who saves to the uttermost, we'll find ourselves lacking in ability to do that. And we'll find that, in fact, we are, trying, we are doing somebody a disservice in that process. So there was this supplication made, but Jesus was entering and he was making an inspection. Second Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord searched the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
So God's eyes, he's, he's searching over all the earth to look peop, for people who are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And they're, 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 he's, he's seeking after people who are going to be surrendered to him and who are going to love him and who are going to walk with him, who are going to know him so that he can have that thing I was talking about earlier, where he would be their God and they would be his people. They'd be devoted to him and he'd be devoted to them. And it'd be this extraordinary relationship between man and God. And, and so he's constantly looking for that. In this case, Jesus is riding in on a donkey and he's, and he's looking for it in the city of Jerusalem. He's looking for it in this moment when all the people from, from the, the, all the Israelites were coming in from all over the place to celebrate the Passover. So, you know, a small town, a relatively small town of Jerusalem is being, is basically the whole nation descends on the city of Jerusalem for this week for a series of celebration and feasts and, and, and they're going to, it's going to climax uh, at the end of the week with, with the Passover when they, when they have this special meal and they remember the coming salvation of God. They remember the humility and the salvation of God, right? The, the whole communion thing that we do every week, they, they do that, but with distinction. Anyway, we've got to keep going. So Jesus comes into the city and as they're worshiping and crying out for their salvation, he's examining the city and inspecting it for signs that they're living life according to the Torah. The Torah. Are they following my ways? Are they living according to my loving kindness? Are they living a peculiar life? Are they worshiping me in spirit? Are they worshiping me in truth? Or are they just doing whatever they want? Now this is his second time to the temple. And so, so but you know, you know kind of like when you walk in and you're like, I don't expect a whole lot from, from people on the outside. You know, so if I'm, if I'm going in, if I'm going into a Chick-fil-A, I don't necessarily expect the people in the parking lot to be really super polite to me. Right? So like, if I get cut off, it's not like, I'm not going to knock Chick-fil-A, right? Because it just, you're, you're rude. You're, you're hungry too. I got it. I like, you just, you're hangry. That's cool. Or maybe you're actually, you're probably going to the store next to them. Right? You were just parking in this parking lot. That's why you're angry. Because you're not going into Chick-fil-A. But you're in the Chick-fil-A parking lot. As you're walking into Chick-fil-A, you're like, there's something great on the inside of this place. And I'm going to get there. And somebody's rude to you and you're like, whatever. But the closer you get to Chick-fil-A, the nicer the people get. Have you ever noticed that? (laughs) It's like, you can't get a parking spot out there. But the closer you get, people are like stopping traffic for you. And, you know, the guys are taking orders in the parking lot now. And so they're like, hey, stop right here. We got somebody who wants to come in right this way. And then the customers start catching on to it. And the customers are like, hey, I'm going to hold the door open for you. Hey, you know, like the, the radio station has this whole thing where people are paying for each other's food in the drive through line, right? And so it's like the, the closer you get to Chick-fil-A, the nicer the people are getting, the more accommodating people are getting, the greater the hospitality is, right? You with me? Has anybody had that experience? And then finally you get inside the building and now it's staff. And so these people are paid to be hospitable. And they're like, it's my pleasure. <laughs> and you're like, it is? <laughs> like, okay, cool. Could you like, what? I remember the first time they were trying to clear my place, right? Have you ever had them clear your place at Chick-fil-A? I'm like, this is fast food. And so they came and said, I felt really uncomfortable. I was no, 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 I've got it. Because I didn't, I, I was like, <laughs> I don't know how this works. This is a fast food restaurant. Why are you trying to clear my place? I'll clear my own place. And I was like, ah. Then I was so stressed out. And then the second time they came to do it. And I was like, they really mean this. They really want to clear my place. And I was like, I guess I should let you. But yeah, I would like let you be hospitable towards me. So Jesus is entering the city, not expecting a whole lot from probably the outskirts, though it is his city. 
And so he's like, I'm going to work my way to the temple and see where the, the core of the worship should be. I'm working myself all the way into the, the, the heart of this city, into the place that, that makes the rest of this place thrive. And as he draws closer and closer to the temple, what he should be experiencing is more and more my pleasures. What he should be experiencing is people opening the door for him. What he should be experiencing is praise and worship. And he should hear people crying out to Yahweh and celebrating him. He should hear prayers and he should, be, he should see generosity and freedom. He should see people giving things, paying for each other's meals. He should see people praying for the sick. He should see people caring about the homeless. He should see people caring for the weak. He should see more and more of this as he draws near. And then when you get into the temple, my God, it should be extraordinary. People worshiping God with humility and piety and contrition, saying, great is our God who was and is and is to come. And so he gets to the temple and what he finds is the same problem he had seen at the beginning of his ministry. They had changed its purpose. People saw money changing hands and they saw lots of people and they saw financial opportunity. Now the law made room for people to sell pigeons and to sell things so that people could sacrifice it because it'd be a pain to walk 300 miles with a pigeon. It'd be a pain to walk with a pigeon anyway. But to go 300 miles with animals that you're just gonna kill, it's like, is there another way? And God's like, yeah, there's another way. And so in Leviticus, he made a way. He's like, you can take money. You don't have to, you don't have to like raise it from birth, but you can go in and you can buy something to sacrifice so long as you feel the weight of sacrifice financially. I can't sacrifice, you know, Pastor Jermaine or Pastor Eddie's pigeons because I need to feel the weight of the sacrifice, right? <laughs> People are like, why are you sacrificing pigeons? Aren't you glad that we're done with that? You get to wear nice clothes to church. Like, you're like, come on, Jedediah, put on your good church clothes so you can stain them with blood. It's time for Passover. Let's kill some animals. We're like, it's Easter. Let's get fake eggs that are plastic and won't get on your clothes. It's just, I'm sorry. So he heads in, and, and so what he sees is people making, seeing an opportunity to make a dollar. And instead of facilitating people's worship and making a way for people to worship, they, they end up creating barriers to people's worship. And so they, they create these barriers, and they start charging Disney prices for pigeons. And like down the street over at Bethany, you could get a pigeon for like a buck fifty. But in the temple, to get a pigeon, it's going to cost you $30,000. If you want a drink, that's cool. You can go to the 7-Eleven five miles away. You can get it for a buck fifty. But if you want a medium soda filled largely with ice, <laughs> filled mostly with ice, and a little bit of your crisp beverage, it's going to cost you 15 bucks. And they're not even real nachos. It's just a little dip cup for like 20 bucks. And Jesus is like, that's not happening here. This is not okay. I will not pay these prices. I hope you see the difference between what I'm saying. And 
So it's leading up and Jesus is coming in and he sees all these things and he's completely dissatisfied with what he sees because he knows what it should be and it's so far from where it could be and then it just goes quiet for a minute. And he goes, he goes to Bethany. And there's this lull in the action. It's a blank slide on purpose. In case you were wondering, you're like, where's the slide? That's the slide. It speaks to the lull. It was artistic. <laughs> there's this lull in the action. He goes back to Bethany. Because Jesus loved to get away from the crowds. So Jesus slips away for the night. All the introverts say amen. It's always a quiet amen when the introverts do it. (laughs) Or fakers, right? It's the people who weren't really listening and they hear say amen and you just say amen. But it was really an extrovert who wasn't listening, not an introvert. Because the introverts don't say anything. Not ever. I mean, they say things. They think about it first. He's patient, and he's patient, isn't he? God, Jesus says, sees it's totally out of order. And he doesn't just call down lightning on him. He doesn't call down a legion of angels and just obliterate the city. He's patient. And he gives them one more night to think on what they're doing. To go to bed that night, to reflect on the wrong that they're doing in the temple the wrong that they're doing to people, the way that they're standing in the way. And so, so he goes back for the night and gives them one more night. We need to be careful not to mistake God's patience for his acceptance. You know, they would have seen Jesus come up to the temple and they were like, yeah, Jesus was here. Oh, you saw him? Yeah. And like, meanwhile, let's rip off all these people. He saw us and he didn't do anything about it. We, we must be okay. He's, he, he knows about my, my drug habit and he hasn't done anything. He must be okay with it. He knows that I'm stealing from my work, but he hasn't done anything about it, so he must be okay with it. I've been addicted to this internet stuff for so long, but nothing's happened to me yet. He must be okay with it. He must have accepted it. He must not mean what he says about adultery. He must not mean what he says about hatred. I've been harboring unforgiveness towards this person forever and God hasn't wiped me out. He must be okay with the fact I haven't forgiven this person yet. Family, we need to be very careful to make sure that we don't mistake God's patience for his acceptance, his patience or even for his pleasure. So he gives them this night to reflect one last time on how they've been living and he's getting ready to come in and he's gonna, and he's gonna clean house. But on the way in, um, on the way in, they stop by this fig, this fig tree, and there's this little foreshadowing of what's about to go down inside of Jerusalem. He sees this fig tree, and he's like, "This thing should be feeding me right now. This thing should be bringing me pleasure, and it's not bringing me pleasure. It will bring nobody else pleasure." So he curses the fig tree, and then we're not even going to get to the fact that the fig tree was actually cursed. We don't, we don't have enough time to go that far in the scripture today. But he gives them a little bit of foreshadowing of his distaste for lack of fruit. 
He had wanted to see fruit in Jerusalem. He didn't find any. Gave him a night to find it. Came back, saw no, fig, no fruit on the fig tree, and so now he's moving forward. And there's this mini foreshadowing of what's about to go down in the city. Jesus identifies three primary problems. And he's about to clarify his expectations for the city. He identifies the problem that things were being bought and sold in the temple. So the, the, the practice of buying and selling was allowed outside of the temple. But they crept, they crept closer and closer and closer and closer to the point that now it was happening like they had cotton candy guys walking up and down the rows of prayers saying, hey, I got you right here. Peanuts. Or pigeons. Got your pigeons. You know, a little tray, and you can, like, pick your pigeon off of it, and you pass the pigeon guy five bucks. That was a baseball game illustration. <laughs> uh, it made its way inside the temple, and he's like, that's not okay. Then he, then he turns his attention to the money changers who were changing for dishonestly. And when you got people coming in from other regions, they had to change money the same way you would have to if you went to another, another country. And it's customary in those con- in, 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 to, to their exchange rates. And so you're like, okay, well, a, do- a dollar is worth this many pesos. So that'll be the exchange. And then the person who's doing the exchange takes, takes a percentage off the top for their service to you so that they can continue to do it and they can feed their family. Cool, got it. But they start taking more than their part. And they start standing on the way of people being able to make this exchange. Because, you know, if you're changing money, you're making several exchanges. You're exchanging money, and then you're exchanging for a pigeon. And then you're exchanging for food, and you're trying to, trying to make all this happen. And so the money changes. So he overturns their tables. And then, and then I didn't highlight it, but verse 16, it says, He wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So not only had it turned into a merchandising place, but people started taking shortcuts through the temple to do other things. You know, there's, it's funny, on, on some of the commentaries, there's a lot of discussion about what kinds of things, right? What kind of, because it says carrying vessels through the temple. And so, you know, these translators took the easy route and they said, carry anything. You just shouldn't carry anything. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's cultic worship or if it's pleasure, like if it's pleasurable to God, why are you carrying it through this place where worship is supposed to be occurring? That's not how it's supposed to be. Wouldn't it be weird right now if somebody, like, if a teacher who works here at Dominion High School, like, decided to park over there and then just walked right through there because it was a quicker way to the classroom? That'd be kind of strange. Probably stranger for the teacher than for me. (laughs) You'd be like, I don't know what's happening right now, but it's awkward, but it'd be weird. It'd be awkward. It would, it would, it would get in the way of our worship, but it, they'd gotten so casual about the temple that people were taking shortcuts through the temple to get where they wanted to go. Now, this is a side note. It's not really what the scripture is saying, but I just want to say there are no shortcuts even through the temple. Like some, so if you're looking to get rich fast, coming to church isn't the way to get rich fast. All right, coming to church or surrendering your life to Jesus doesn't mean you're going to get rich fast. It doesn't mean your marriage is going to get healed fast. It doesn't mean your kid's going to come back fast. It doesn't mean you're going to get your job back fast. It doesn't mean any of those things. There's not a shortcut through the temple. The temple is a destination, not a shortcut. 
And what you do is you get to the temple and you wait for God to move on your behalf so that he can do what you really truly need and he can save you to the uttermost while you're here in the temple. But we don't shortcut our way through small group. We don't shortcut our way through Bible study. We don't shortcut our way through prayer. We don't, I tried mimicking Pastor Dehan's prayer one time. Uh, you don't even know Pastor Dehan anymore. He, he's our church planter in LA. He was praying with the worship team right over there in that corner. And I walked up on it and I was listening. I was like, man, this guy, it's like watching Jesus minister. And I was like, so I was listening. And then I was like, I'm going to minister like Jesus. And so I basically tried to use all the same language that Pastor Dehan was using. And it didn't have the same authority. I was looking for the shortcut. I was looking for the pattern instead of the power that's found in the person of Jesus. And so I missed out on the way God wants to do it because I was trying to shortcut it by learning a couple phrases and learning a way of doing it and putting my hands on a certain way and, and being like really empathetic. There's not a pattern. There's not a shortcut to the salvation that we want. There's no shortcut. And then he declares what it should be. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Most of the problems between the church and the world have nothing to do with God and everything to do with that being lost. Most people, when I, when I talk to people who don't attend church or aren't Christians, they don't bring up God as a primary issue. People kind of want God to exist. With the exception of a, a sliver of, of atheists that don't want him to exist, and not even all atheists don't want him to exist. Many atheists are atheists because, because of a failure of the church in some way. I don't, I'm, there's no need to, to recount the headlines or to talk about the scandals that have plagued the church through the generations, much less now. But if we could get back to being a house of prayer for all the nations, what we do is when we pray, God changes our heart and he changes our mind and he moves at the same time. So it's not like we pray and we're the only one changed and now we got to go do everything. It's as we pray, God works on our behalf and so we're changed and the circumstances outside are changed because he has the ability and the capacity to change other people's hearts. So we walk into a changed world after we're changed. So everybody's changed by prayer. And he says for all the nations, it's not just for, not just for the people you like. So actually, on your five for Easter, write down the name of some people that you don't like. <laughs> Who needs salvation more than the person you don't like? Right? Wouldn't that just make it better? Because you'll get humbled in the process, so you'll be changed because you're part of the problem. <laughs> but wouldn't it be great if that person you didn't like got saved? Yeah, I know some of y'all, some of y'all said awesome because you're mature. Some of y'all like, no. <laughs> I know it. I felt it. I felt it in my heart. I felt it. I, it's somebody over there. <laughs> so somebody there was like, no, it wouldn't be great if they got saved because they've wronged me. No, it wouldn't be great if God came and rescued them and redeemed them because I'm not done with them yet. I like the discomfort it brings me to think about them not doing well. 
So you can either help everybody in the process or wreck everyone in the process. I'll just leave that to you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can't change anybody's mind, so. So here's the thing. Um, we got to close. So all of this is going on, and he resets the priority in Grace Covenant Church. This is who we're called to be, a house of prayer for all nations. And we pray the kind of prayers that change us, transform the community, and we bring people along to experience the power and the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're going to invite people for this coming Sunday. But here's what I want to do. Um, We need to examine our own hearts. But the way that we want to do that is we want Jesus to examine our hearts for us. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, says, As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any other authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't even prove that I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So today, if you heard this sermon and you're like, I'm in great shape. (laughs) This sermon was clearly for the person who's not here today. (laughs) Or for (laughs) for my significant other. I'm going to send this email to someone else later and let them know that there was a message for them today at church. (laughs) We need to ask God to examine our hearts. Can you do that with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, even as we read about the celebration, God, the inspection and even a correction, God, we've worshiped you this morning. It was an exciting moment. God, the worship team's so gifted and our hearts were so stirred for you. But we don't want to be caught worshiping the you of our imagination. We don't want to be caught worshiping the you of our creation. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth and be transformed by you into your likeness. We don't want the pattern. We don't want the shortcut. We want you to come and inspect our lives. Holy Spirit, in this moment, I ask that you would would visit us And you would reveal any wayward ways in us. Holy Spirit, that you would identify any of the things in our lives that are displeasing to you. That you would cleanse us from our unrighteousness. I thank you that we have the benefit of your death and resurrection. We have the benefit of knowing that you cover our sins. That you've redeemed us and you'll never fail us. That you have all power and authority. So we ask that you would prune away the things that are displeasing to you at any sinful place, any sinful mindsets, priorities, 
habits or patterns, God, that you would speak to it and you would curse anything in our life that's not bearing fruit for you. So that you can live through us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that you even bring discomfort into our life so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth according to your loving kindness. In Jesus' name.